And we're back. We have another edition of the Deacons Roundtable here at WSFI 88.5 FM. We are here today with Deacon Richard Hudzik of the Archdiocese of Chicago, our Vicar of Deacons. Good afternoon, good morning, or whenever we're playing this. I have to be time neutral. Sorry about that. And we have Mike Alandi from St. Mary of the Annunciation, who is uh, under the weather this week, this month. So he won't be joining us, so we, we hope Mike will do better. And we have uh, Dave Egan on the line from, uh, from Tennessee, formerly of uh, Victory Lakes in Lindenhurst, Illinois. Now he's at uh, St. Thomas of some place in Tennessee. And Dave can elaborate on that when we, uh, we get a chance. And let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord, for allowing us another time to gather in the presence of the Holy Spirit, talking about issues of of interest here in the Archdiocese of Chicago, the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, and the Diocese of Rockford. Thank you for Angela for her efforts in bringing Catholic Radio to the area. Thank you for the blessings of our family and friends, and please keep your church safe and free from harm throughout the world. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 So, Deacon Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about your new life down in Tennessee? Well, I happened to get a letter today giving me my formal faculties and assignment at the local church. What does faculties Um, mean? It means that gives me permission to actually be a minister in the Diocese of Knoxville. Diocese of Knoxville. So, I... I'm still incarnated in the Archdiocese of Chicago. That's my home, and I hopefully will be able to continue that. Um, but temporarily, while Deacon Hudson is shaking his head no, so I don't know what to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have to have permission, actually, from the local bishop to um, be a deacon or act as a deacon within the his diocese. And so, getting faculties is the formal permission from the bishop that you are are allowed to perform diaconal ministry in in care of the church of the uh, diocese of Knoxville. And, and what do you foresee as being your initial ministry down there? Um, that's English? up in the air and we'll have some discussion. My background is health care and ethics, so hopefully we have some of that. The, um, the parishes, it's they call it a mission diocese down here in that um, there's only, I think, 2 to 3% of the population is Catholic. It's very fast-growing uh, where all the northerners moving in. Uh, but it's also one of the most Christian areas. It's uh, greater than 90% Christian, uh, but very small percent Catholic. It's mainly Baptist. So there's a lot of outreach going through the different churches and working together to solve issues within the society. So hopefully they'll be able, able to do a lot of social justice as well. Um, one of the people who are, is retiring and moving back up north uh, due to health reasons, he's been handing a lot of the annulments. Uh, so that's going to be one hole that will have to be filled, and I've never done that before in my life. So time to learn something new. Well, we wish you the greatest of luck down in uh, your missionary journey to Tennessee. <laughs> Thank you. So also we have with us today, we have... Uh, our, our topic for today is liturgical music. We have an organist from St. Pat's of Wadsworth, uh, Dale Janetka. And we have Alex Fries, who is the music director of St. Raphael the Archangel in Old Mill Creek, Illinois. So welcome, guys. We're very happy you could be here today. Thank you. So, Alex, Thanks. Alex, you can wave into the phone at us for doing yeah. that. So. <laughs> okay, I'm waving. I'm waving. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dale, why, why don't we start with you? What... Uh, How'd you get into this gig? What's what's going on? And of course, we know Dale is is uh, in the in the Coast Guard. 
Could, mm-hmm. could you right. make it in the Navy, right? So you had to go in the Coast Guard. Oh, yeah. and, I like and, being uh, home more often. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's defending Milwaukee from the uh, from Michiganders, I guess. Yeah, from the Illinois people. The Illinois people. Yeah, right, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good thing. I, I started uh, actually in second grade playing uh, organ, organ lessons, and it was all just pop, you know, pop stuff, you know, kids' organ stuff. And uh, my sister started, which got me going. And, um, yeah, just stayed with it, and I went to a Catholic grade school. So, of course, as long as I was uh, – once I was old enough to play at church there, about 11 or 12 years old, I was playing uh, for the Catholic school masses and then uh, started playing on Sundays, you know, there for church as well and uh, assisting with the choir. And my mother was uh, the, the liturgist there, and my father played organ. My sister also played organ, and my aunt was the choir director. So pretty much is like the sound of music, it's, you know. It's just, expected. Yeah. <laughs> So did you ever get in trouble so. for, like, rocking out between masses? and? Uh, My aunt had to, in between at choir <laughs> practices, she had to kind of, you know, she had a squirt gun. She'd squirt at us if we were, you know. <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, it was pretty fun. So, I mean, you know, I, I started playing there and uh, then uh, you know, through high school. And, and uh, then, of course, once uh, I kept that going and once I moved away for the Coast Guard, I was subbing on the East Coast, like, seven different churches. And um, at one point I worked for an electronic organ company that sold and installed electronic pipe organs. So that really is where I got a little more knowledge in the pipe organ side of the house and started kind of go more towards that side. But uh, yeah, and still playing now, that's about it. Cool. And how about you, so Alex? How, how, uh, are you gonna say something, Dave? Yeah, say, uh, where did you grow up? And was it a local church around here? If you met, uh, if you met Dale, he didn't grow up. But yeah, that's right, up. I'm still growing up. <laughs> actually in Addison, Illinois. Um, down in Addison, St. Joseph's, uh, it's, um, I spent a lot of time there. And then uh, Wooddale, I played at Wooddale and, um, in Illinois as well. And uh, that's pretty much there until we moved away to the East Coast. And Rhode Island played there, and then we moved to uh, Cleveland and played there. And now, now we're back here in Illinois again. Did you ever notice a difference in the music being paid, played as you went to different parts of the countries at, at Mass? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have to admit, here, we, I was always at churches where the music was very diverse. We did more modern things and we did of course some hymns as well just a mixture of all different types of music and um, at one point you know did things where we had drummers and guitarists and all that but um, on the east coast my mother being a liturgist said oh when you guys move out there it's going to be shocking you know it's going to be a different world it's going to be super conservative and we we're like okay that's just kind of kind of the liturgist talking like it's not our church so it's not going to be as good you know and sure enough uh, we moved out there and it was uber uh, you know, conservative, a lot more straight pipe organ. A lot of churches didn't even have a piano there. You know, it's all a lot of hymns, a lot of, I mean, it, it definitely was a different f- flavor than what I was, when I grew up with here, you know. Like St. Raphael. A little more, yeah. <laughs> so, Alex, how about you? Well, I didn't get started as soon as, they, as uh, Dale did, but uh, it was probably fifth grade. Or so, you know, taking uh, trumpet and band, and we also could take guitar lessons too as part of the music program at the elementary school. So, so soon I was playing guitar at math and was doing that for you know from fifth grade on on through the rest of school, and somewhere along the line picked up piano and started doing that as well, and it wasn't until after college and I got my first kind of solo church job that I had to learn to play the organ so I started to do that too and now here we are <laughs> in brief 
And congratulations to, goes out to Alex, who is a, a recently married gentleman. Yes, congratulations. <laughs> for, for doing that. So with prayers yeah, for you and, you. and your, your wonderful you. wife, who we love to see at St. Raphael. Um, so so yeah. one of the things that was that was I thought would be fun about today is that the the styles are completely different at St. Pat's and St. Raphael. Not saying one's good, one bad, but they're different by all means. Um, do you guys have a preference of what, whether it's an organ or a piano or a guitar? I was in, I was in Des Moines and it was a guitar mass at, at nine o'clock, which is nothing I'm used to, to seeing as well. So so how do you how do you decide if you're an, if you're going to be an organ guy that day, a piano guy that day, or you're going to pull out the six strings or what you're doing? <laughs> I know for me, uh, I, I kind of I think it's what the music is written for. You know, with all the different styles of music, whether it's the old hymns, whether it's Latin pieces, whether it's, you know, Marty Hagen and Haas and all that kind of stuff, more modern piano type music, you know, I think the important thing is you play it based on what the music was written on. You know, some of that, the more modern Haas and, and, and Hagen, all that kind of stuff, I mean, it was written for piano. It sounds good on piano. That's what it's written for. So I feel like if I have the choice, I'm going to play those on the piano. If it's a hymn, you know, older type chant type stuff, I mean, those were more... They sound better on the organ. That's kind of what they were from, you know. So I, I kind of feel like I like to veer what if I have the choice, you know, based it on what the music was written for. And even guitar, like we have guitarists that strum along that I think it tasteful is the word, you know. I mean, if it's there's somewhere if they're playing it tastefully, a beautiful song, guitar could sound great. That same song with a different guitarist just banging away too loud, or if it's like a hymn where it's more to be like this reverent marchy sound and. You add, let's say, drums or guitar to it. I don't. I, I personally don't think it sounds right because it really wasn't. That's not the feel for what that was written for. But um, but some people do it great. That's that's just my opinion. How about you, Alex? So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely on the same page with Dale. And one thing I would add to it is also taking into consideration the space that you're in, the church you're in, uh, acoustically. So, you know, for instance, at St. Rayfield. The acoustics are very live with a very generous reverb. So piano, as a percussion instrument, doesn't really work that well in the space. Um, it you know works well for rehearsals when we're in the choir loft on Wednesday nights, but uh, you know for mass it's it's a different story. So for me at St. Raphael, I tend to play organ almost all the time, just because the acoustics are better for that. But uh, my previous job at St. Helens in the par- uh, in the city, city of Chicago, uh, I I played keyboard and I played guitar and I played organ, you know, pretty evenly, really. And that was because the acoustics were a little more friendly to a variety of music. So, um, anyway, yeah, that's what I would say. I mean, I, yeah, I totally agree with Dale, but I would just add that the acoustics, the room can make a difference, too. I agree. About what sounds good. Uh-huh. What sounds good. I agree. That makes a difference, especially a big room like that with piano and something percussive. It could get lost. You know, it's hard. The timing it starts to get that rubber band effect. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever ever played the piano or uh, guitar at St. Raphael during a a, a liturgy? (laughs) You know, we did it. Well, probably the first time was actually this past Holy Week for Holy Thursday. We did it for for one piece. So. I mean, it worked out, I think, quite well. Um, but, you know, we'll see in the future. I mean, it's just, the piece just works really well. I think it was kind of an exception. But, you know, we'll see in the future. 
you know, what we can do. If, I think if we had a digital piano, it would be a lot easier to control the sound. Um, you know, since we just have the acoustic, it's, uh, you know, what we hear upstairs is a different story of what they hear downstairs. So, uh, so it's a challenge there. So what do you guys so think about, uh, I interrupt somebody, I'm sorry. No, that was uh, Dave down Dave. in te yeah. Tennessee. Dave. So, so he'll be on music Tennessee. comp question. <laughs> so one of the, the challenges that I have, especially being on the altar, when there's having some of the organ music played, that it is overwhelming, for example, the choir that I can't hear or the words and the singing. And so how do you adjust that within a certain space like if the music calls for something being very loud but it, it's overwhelming everybody or, or the opposite when it's supposed to be very low and people can't hear it so how do you judge that as a musician coming in of like the differences of practicing like an empty church versus a full church i, I know I, I could say from um you know it, it depends on what the song is too i know for instance if you know if we're accompanying people but if it's a big hymn that everyone knows or if it's a mass part that the whole church is singing, some people will be like, oh, the organ's too loud, the organ's too loud. But you go, but that's, you know, if everyone is singing that piece, everyone knows it, it it's not as important. You know, the, the cantor shouldn't be a soloist. It shouldn't be like a solo in the background. But I think, um, you know, for certain pieces, you know, where, you know, you need to have that equal, that equal sound between both. Uh, you know, we just, I, I know for me, you just adjust the sound on the organ. You adjust the stops you use and that's that's the idea of the difference of playing pipe organ versus even electronic organs where you know how many stops you choose and how many sounds you put on really almost depicts the sound of the organ if there's if it's not enclosed if it's all out in the open you have to make your sounds match which if you want a big full sound on some organs you can't do a big full sound quietly some you just if you want that big sound that's not real soft and fluty it's going to be loud but most of the places that have that kind of, I think, understand that's part of a pipe organ. That's part of what a real pipe organ would be. And hopefully the congregation cantors are singing nice and loud to <laughs> add to that. <laughs> that's my... What do you think, Alex? Yeah, so... Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's always a challenge because, you know, you can, you can rehearse in an empty church and then on Sunday there could be a huge crowd and the acoustics are completely different. Yes. And... You know, everything that you prepared for, you know, volume-wise, your registrations, whatever, you may have to change them on the fly. And, you know, again, what you hear upstairs in the choir loft is a different story than what they hear at the altar or what they hear in the middle of the church or what they hear in the back of the church. So, yeah, there's always an adjustment. So you as an organist, I mean, it really helps to, to know that kind of acoustic profile of the church and also the feedback from people in the pews hopefully they're you know they're talking to you and, and telling you what they think so you kind of have an idea well you know if there's a lot of people here we need to do this better we need to be louder here the less organ here you know whatever you're you're always kind of keeping in mind the soundscape so to say yeah and, I, and think... Oh, go ahead. I i think i i think that like for me sitting sitting at the organ i know that the choir is is pretty loud but just from where I sit, I actually have a hard time hearing them, and I tend to hear more organ than anything else. So I usually try to tone it down, but I'm also afraid that then they're not going to hear the organ. So there's got to be you know, a balance that we're keeping the choir on track, um, you know, that they're being supported enough so they feel confident in singing, but also that we're not, you know, blowing them away, but also not blowing the 
congregation away too. So yeah, it's a tricky balance. So sometimes you know you just don't get it right. <laughs> well, especially yeah. at Saint Raphael, you have different microphones in the back than you do in the front of the church, right? Right, right. So that's because I know there are some days on the altar we can hear the hear the cantors, and of course we always hear Dale's wife because she's a wonderful singer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but there's sometimes you you don't hear it, and you never know if it's you know Dale not playing loud enough or is it the microphones or it's you know if we, we look at the challenge of, of what's going on and i'm sure um it's easy for you for you alex because you're going in the same church all the time and dale you're jumping around yeah. the different churches so how do you figure it out ahead of time yeah that used to be the challenge when i was especially in the east coast with seven different <coughs> churches subbing they all have the organ in different places they all have the canter in different places some are mic'd i mean it's that definitely was a challenge kind of like alex was saying just getting used to the room and saying like okay this in this room the organ sound falls on you first, then the people. So versus coming from the back of the room, you know, it kind of makes a difference on uh, where the organ sound is coming from. So uh, the challenge is really making it sound like an organ, though, because it's when I went when I was in selling organs, that was the big challenge is that to sound like a real organ, you can't play a pipe organ super quietly. So if you put the volume way down too slow, too low, it doesn't sound like a real organ anymore. Kind of interesting. So that music we hear in the background mm-hmm. is not Dale, but it is, it is uh, Angela. And uh, we're coming up with our first break at WSFI 88.5 FM on your dial or WSFIRadio.org on online. We're with the Deacons Roundtable. We'll be back in a few minutes. This is Joe Scheidler in Chicago. Want to learn some Latin? Well, here are three simple words that say it all. Ora et labora. That's the motto of the Benedictines, and that means pray and work. Pray for the 4,000 babies who will be cruelly killed in legal abortions today in American cities alone. But also work to end abortion. Pray and work. How do you work? Well, come out to an abortion clinic near you. Pray there but also talk to the women going in. Offer them help. If you want to know how, give us a call. We're the Pro-Life Action League in Chicago. Call us at 773-777-2900. That's 773-777-2900. Or contact us at prolifeaction.org. Hello, I'm Bill Wennington from the Church of St. Mary's and the Chicago Bulls. I I believe Catholic Radio is important for all of us out there listening to help us through days when maybe our faith is being challenged by many different obstacles that are put in our way. And it's a chance to reflect and just think and hear stories from other people that maybe are going through the exact same issues that we are going through and how they have struggled and how they are getting through their problems today. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated.
back at the Deacon's Roundtable at WSFI 88.5 FM on your FM dial. And we are here with uh, Dale Janetka of St. Uh, Pat's in Wadsworth and Alex Freed from St. Rafael the Archangel in Old Mill Creek, Illinois, talking about uh, liturgical music. And uh, Deacon Richard had a question for you guys. I have a question. I have a question. Uh, and we've, been, we've been talking and hearing you uh, talk about uh, the artistry involved as to the artistry, the mechanics of the room, um, and certainly that's important. To, as as an artist yourself, uh, you know Dale and, and Alex, you want you want to deliver a good product, if you will. But we're obviously we're not we're not in the product business. That's right. So, you know, in, in broad strokes, what is the purpose of music and liturgy? It's it's not. You know, we're not paying 20 bucks or 50 bucks to come in for a show. It's not a show, but what's it for? I really think, you know, it's that thing to, it's to help people worship. You know, it really is. It's to put people in the mood and, of course, the words. You know, they say that thing to uh, sing something is to sing, pray, sing pray for it to pray twice. Yeah. I mean, and that's really something I think as a, as, a lit, as a music minister to realize that, that we're not performers. We're not there to perform. We're not there, you know, it's, it's we are there to minister just like I was a accompanist, I'm there to accompany the singer. I'm not performing, you know. And that's it's, I, I think it's just, it's really important, you know, that we keep that in our heads, you know, that and and that it, we really are there to help people worship. Like when they come up afterward and said how beautiful things were, um, my wife and I were just having this conversation the other day where I said it's feel good because now I know I helped to make their experience there more, you know, more full of worship. Alex, do you you have thoughts on that? Why? Yeah. Why and music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want this to come across cold sounding, but. I mean, I, I view the the music is it's it's a fu- it's a functional. It serves the function of the ritual of the mass, and um, I think when we when we think about it that way, and not just okay, what's the next song? What's the next song? And not the not the performance value of it, not the entertainment value of it, but what its purpose is. Um, I think for me that helps keep me on track, you know, like when I'm planning. Um, what we're going to do, what we're rehearsing. You know, we're always keeping in mind that this music serves a purpose here. It's not just to fill time. It's not just to fill space or to keep people awake. It's, there's a purpose for what we're doing. And then also, the music we're doing, uh, the text is what comes first. That's what's most important. The music is there to serve the text. So sometimes we can get carried away with, you know, the organ being too loud or too many instruments, just too much n- too much noise going on and we lose the words we lose what's going on so i think that's something we have to be sensitive to as liturgical musicians so what is liturgical music who decides that a song that that, that can be played or not well, all my years, it was my mother. <laughs> She's the liturgist. <laughs> and there's not a pastor who stands up right? to a mother or a that's wife. Right, that's right. true. <laughs> but uh, you know, we hear we hear the time. Oh, we yeah. hear it all the time. There's liturgical music, or you can play this song. You can't play that song. Danny Boy, I want Danny yeah. Boy. At my and favorite. who the heck ever said Balma Gilead's a good song to play? But other than that, <laughs> what what who decides, Alex? What what, what what gives you the latitude of picking songs? Well, technically, what gives me the latitude is the the germ, the general instruction for the Roman Missal, that lays out you know, all the functions of the Mass, but also the music. And within those rules, there are, Gregorian chant is always place number one, although, you know, how often that's place number one is another story. But basically there's four options, and, and option four for the music, and I'm talking about 
like the hymns, uh, yeah. entrance, offertory, communion, and so on. Um, that music is, the fourth option is kind of whatever is suitable. Uh, another suitable hymn, another suitable chant, another suitable song. But is there a, and, uh, Alex, is there a book yeah, and, of approved hymns somewhere? So every, well, theoretically, every book, every hymnal that's used in Catholic churches has been approved by either the local diocese or, uh, like, USCCD or, or you know, whatever, who's, whoever is in, in control of those things in what, the area. So all of those have an imprimatur of approval from, from the diocese. So theoretically, anything in those, in those hymnals is fair game to be, to be sung at Mass. But then, how you choose it really is is up to each music director and up to up to their choice, up to their discretion. Yeah, but so, we, hear, we hear songs that are yeah. on K, K Love or whatever that uh, uh, Christian rock station that used to be the Loop uh, on. You know, we hear those playing at the children's mass or teenagers' masses and things like that when they got the rock bands out. Are they doing something liturgically incorrect by using those? Hmm. Well, I mean, it's technically it, right. That's an opinion, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a hard thing to say. I mean, you know, depending on your viewpoint, if you're, I guess, more traditionally minded, you would probably scoff at those sort of selections. But um, if, no, I'm, be, I'm being serious. If, I mean, I if mean, there's an imprimatur on it, then then you said it's kosher. But if, yeah. if there's not an imprimatur, right. Right. Does, to mix to mix metaphors and religions. Yeah. Yes, but the, <laughs> don't use those big words. But the, <laughs> um, but, but what uh, I mean, are, are, is it true that Germ's saying that if you don't have the imprimatur, you, you can't use that? So I mean, we all know the wedding songs you can't use and things like that. Um, but that's what I'm saying. Is is is, is there a formal list of uh, ways or proofs or songs or I mean there's tons of hymnals but not every it's like saying every prayer book that you can read it has been has been blessed and everything else well if they're if they're playing the Ave Maria they're probably safe but when they go out to the other stuff how well, do you know? I, I don't think there's in the standpoint of for instance I could write a song right now that is absolutely 100% based on a psalm or scripture every word in it is word for word and most churches would hear that if you go to a convention, you're selling just like all these other, you know, composers like Hagenel's guys. I mean, you could write this song, I could write it, and if it is liturgically, you know, text-wise, like Alex was saying, if it's all liturgical text and it's nice, it's tasteful music. I mean, I don't think anyone I, would I don't know even the better. That if Michael W. Smith wrote <laughs> a song, who we all know, uh, uh, that's going to be something that's approved to play on Sundays. I mean, but we—that's what I'm asking. I don't. I mean, if, if that's true, then. You know why? Why? Why do we have some of these? You well, can't yeah, play the song at, at. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's yeah. no. You know, there's no bands and songs list. I mean, that I know of. I suppose some dioceses will. They'll put out a paper that says, you know, please refrain from singing these songs. You know, whatever, like, like you know, for, for weddings, for like weddings, and yeah, stuff. <laughs> music that they don't want. But I think that's more on a diocese or diocese basis. So, so yeah, I, you can get away with a lot of things. I suppose, and that a lot of that has happened over the years. So you're saying <laughs> next Sunday, <laughs> yeah. if, if, if next yeah. Sunday is the Feast of Roxanne, you, uh, Dale can get up and what? play like Sting? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Rock of Ages? No. But, you know, well, it's funny. I would like to actually give an example of one where it was not liturgically correct music, but it was very appropriate for the liturgy, and that's what I was doing a teen mass, and um, I based the homily on Joan Osborne's song of uh, 
one of us and play that as a, as a like a reflection song after the homily and that so moved the kids between the homily and the song about you know what are we called to do is jesus one of us that stranger on the bus and so i think very much of the musicians i think that if something is done very tastefully in the right background then that can be an extremely prayerful experience. And that's what I think the music is trying to do, is help that prayerful experience. But does, doesn't that word tastefully uh, just define away any, any problem? Is, isn't, that, isn't that the question as to what is... What you, is you're right, I should have... <laughs> I knew that was coming. Okay. Well, with their priests, too, the pastors and priests make a big difference. Over the years in all different places, I play as well. Uh, I mean, you know, there, there were places where they said, well, you can play you know, non-liturgical music before anything you want before the wedding and after the wedding coming in and out as long as it's not during the actual mass, but during that, the mass, it must be liturgical. Like there, uh, and there's a handful of priests. Other ones will say, absolutely not. If it does not bear the name, like, you know, God, Jesus, if it has nothing to do with that, you know, like songs like there is love, you know, if, if or if it was not written for the church, there are some that will say, absolutely not. You, you know, you can't do it. I've done it where before mass, you know, someone does wind beneath my wings and another church, absolutely not. There's no way. So it's it's. I know in my experience, it really is based on the pastor and kind of the flavor of the of the places to what they allow and what they don't. And this this brings me to a question. I'd I'd wanted to ask the our our brain trust here that we've our, our panel of experts, and that is that you are familiar. I'm going to say with a a corpus of of music. That you know, it's much deeper and broader and richer than the average person in the pews, and that there are treasures that you're aware of that maybe is not part of the regular repertoire of that particular parish. So, how do you balance this notion of uh, teaching and leading uh, people to to something that they ought to know, uh, as opposed to continuing with with what they do know and what they're comfortable with? Uh, how do you is there a way to sort that out? What do you think, Alex? <laughs> I'll let you. I just, I, just okay. I don't want to take over right. too much. That's, <laughs> right. That's all right. Well, the first thing I always say to people is that everything was once new. So all those songs you know, there was one time in your life when you first learned them. You were first exposed to them. So I, that's kind of the approach I take when I'm planning the music. That, you know, this song... Maybe people won't know this, but here's a chance. Here's an appropriate chance. It goes, it fits well with this weekend's liturgy or, or whatever. Here's an appropriate chance to expose them to something new. And uh, on top of that, I'm also thinking most of them probably aren't musicians. They're not able to read music. They're not able to, you know, just pick up the hymnal and go. So... How, how many times do we have to do this song? Do we have to do it for a couple weekends to have to try to work it in? Can, can we just do it once and be done with it? You know, so those are things I'm thinking of, too. But, but, it, but very simply, I just encourage people, you know, it's okay to listen to something instead of singing it if you don't know. It's okay to just listen because, we're, we're, again, we're putting that text first. That's what's the most important thing. Yeah, and I think, I think too, some of the how the music's written you know there's so like let's say let's say mass parts there are massive redemption massive redemption, massive you know there's so many to choose from right and as musicians and music directors you know you 
get to listen to what style. Let's face it, every church kind of has certain styles that they kind of the congregation is used to and likes. And other ones are they more traditional or is it more modern, more melodic? You know, and I think sometimes even just playing some of these and playing different churches musically they're phenomenal like as a musician the chord structure the changes all this stuff like if i was a jazz musician i'd be like man this is you know i I love playing this if i was just playing it at home for the enjoyment but it's so musically intricate that for being a mass part that you want everyone to sing kind of like what alex was saying they're not musicians out there and some of these are you know even to the word accompaniment is this i you know really intricate accompaniment which doesn't match the melody very much so People need to really know it and learn it, and it's those almost qu- a musician. Those, qu- those are choir songs, right? Right, they really are. Yeah, <laughs> like there's music that, yeah, it's, it's yeah. definitely more written for musicians, groups, choirs. Yes. But when we incorporate these into the congregation, sometimes some of these mass parts, yeah. uh, you know, are just so intricate. It's it's not easy for people to sing, and I think you want people to be able to make easy melodies, easy things that they can just. You, you got to dumb know. it down for me. I can't play the radio, yeah. so <laughs> it's just going. But how often, do, when you're playing these songs, uh, you have high school d- children? How often they say, "Oh, Dad," you know. I mean, I always figure every every teenager now has has the Apple Buds in their ears, are right. constantly <laughs> using music. So it's got to be hard in 2019 for to pick songs because you're listening. You, we have guys that are listening up tempo stuff, and then you come to Sunday, and you know, if if I get go crazy when I hear the Balm of Gilead, you must my daughter must be wanting to kill herself. I would so like. <laughs> I would, I'd like to. Yeah. Have to stop. This conversation is going to have to stop right here and now because uh, if you're under 75, you don't like the bomb of Gilead. There is a bomb in Gilead. Is if you don't like it, there's something wrong with you. Oh, we and know that. A, and there's a deficit in your cultural first time cultural I, education. Maybe it's, it was, way, maybe it's the way it's played. The first thing, time right I thought I heard that, that, I thought was that there was a bomb in Gilead. I'm like, you want to blow up Gilead? Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's the way Alex plays it. How's that? Philistines. <laughs> I'm surrounded by Philistines. <laughs> maybe. Actually, my kids were kind of well, unique. No. Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. So, like, I'm, I think back to my time at St. Helens, and I guess the folks at St. Helens probably wanted a more contemporary set list, more contemporary than I programmed. Although, I mean, I was, I think I was pretty contemporary. But anyway, um, I think that even if I didn't play those more contemporary songs, those more up-tempo things that maybe they were looking for, they still appreciated and still respected that the music was done in good quality. So even if I was maybe doing more hymns or more classical music, the quality of it is what struck them. Even though it wasn't what they wanted to hear, they still responded well to it because it was well done. Alex, Dale and I have not gotten past the part you saying contemporary, but other <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's not a word. I'm thinking 1950s for you, Alex. (laughs) Hey, as much as you guys should come down here, you'll have quite the education. Do you have the banjo mast, uh, Deacon Dave? Could you eat? Could you repeat your question? I couldn't hear it. Do you have the banjo mast on on for the at Um, uh, five o'clock? No, but but there is a definite difference in the quality of music that I was used to with St. Pat's and other places versus down here. Hmm. Would you say the song list is similar or do they, do they, I would say the song list is probably a little bit more conservative. Um, so Richard can hear the bomb Gilead if he moves to Tennessee. (laughs) Something that was said earlier, which I think is really important about the, you know, is the words and having the music really help you to, um, 
li- live yourself into the liturgy. Um, the opposite is also true that if and when it's painful to listen to a choir, that takes away from the liturgical experience. Well, most definitely. Uh, I know that for those who are at the uh, Holy Week Masses at St. Raphael, to give Alex a plug, the, the choir and the Alex were... were uh, the choir and the organist, I think his wife was playing, uh, were just outstanding. And and when they're doing the ch- the, the 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 hymns and and the chants and stuff, it really did take the take the services to another level. I thought, you know, that in the presence of a deacon. But <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, we're coming up on our. Uh, go ahead, real quick. Okay. <laughs> So we're coming up on our second break here at WSFI 88.5 FM on your dial or WSFIRadio.org. And if you're on the Internet, go ahead and uh, get the credit card out and make uh, make a donation. We're still accepting donations for our our uh, sweeps week or business week, whatever we call when Matt Tomlinson's on. But uh, give, give Angela help, help while you can at WSFIRadio.org. Hello, I am Mike Benner with the Catholic Men's Group of St. Lucie's Parish in Racine, Wisconsin. If you're a man looking to enrich your faith, we invite you to join our Band of Brothers Scripture Study every Saturday at 7 a.m. We review the Sunday Mass readings and discuss how that applies to us Catholic men. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. at St. Lucie's in Racine. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Welcome back to the Deacon's Roundtable. We're talking liturgical music with with uh, Alex Fries from St. Raphael and Dale Janetka from uh, St. Pat's in Wadsworth. And, of course, we have in the studio here our Vicar of Deacons for the Archdiocese of Chicago, Richard Hudzik. And we have the Vicar of Tennessee Deacons for... Down in uh, Dave Egan for the Diocese of Knoxville. Vicar, We're talking for, about vicar for expats. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Greg from St. Raphael. So, guy, Dale, you play in both churches. Uh, what's the feeling in the difference? Let's talk, talk about the music at St. Raphael and the music at St. Pat's. What's the, what are the vibes you feel? It really is. Uh, it's really 180 degrees different. It really is. It's, uh, you know, St. Well, Raphael. Dale's contemporary. Yeah. Yes. yeah of course. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> no it, it's, uh, it's both. I mean, it's. I, I played at churches that only had pipe organ, and so coming here and going to St. Raphael, which is a beautiful building, and like uh, Alex was saying, the reverb for an organ sound, it's its optimum for organ. It sounds great. It sounds full and fantastic. So, of course, the music there is, is very traditional. A lot of hymns, most all, just straight hymns, a lot of chants, things like that. Um, and as an organist, that's that, that kind of stuff's fun to play, you know? Um, then you go to uh, St. Pat's, and it's... A mix. It's yes, coming in, coming out. I'd say every other week there's probably a, a standard good old hymn. 
um, Holy God, we praise thy name, something like that, you know. But then in between, you might have a modern psalm. Like some weeks we do a psalm that's more modern. Other weeks we'll do like out of the standard psalm book. Um, so it's just it's just a mix, you know. And there's there's some songs that uh, are very contemporary or very gospel-y sounding. And other ones it's very solemn and, like I said, nice organ. Uh, so it's just, it's just really a mix, you so, know. So who comments more on the music? And this is for Alex, too. Is it? The pastors that comment the most is it the congregation. Who who's the one who gives you the comments on great week, lousy week? I hate that song. Please play the Bob Gilead. Well, how how do they? <laughs> He's really stuck on that. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, where do you get your feedback from? I know for us it's Go a ahead, little. But, uh, I know for us it's a little bit of each. I mean, I, um, you know, playing. There's those couple people. I, I don't think the organ has been used that much over the years at uh, St. Pat's. And um, at least not in a big way, especially like afterward and postludes and all that. So when I play, I, there there are those couple people that came out of the work that always come up and they always ask me before mass, is there going to be organ? Is there going to be more organ? Is there going to you know? And and there's other people that if I more play more cowbell, be- yeah, cowbell, more <laughs> cowbell, you know. But if I but then again, there's ones where if I play a beautiful like a piano piece or if I doodle just something in between, they're like, what song was that? And I just tell them I was just playing and. Same thing. People are, are very complimentary about that, saying it was so beautiful. And I'm just that I well, I hope that helped for you know. Helped your worship, and I'm glad to hear that it made your, your experience better and all that. So, I mean, it's uh, – I get, and Father Merrill, of course, when he hears uh, both organ pieces, he loves that. He mentions it, and then, uh, you know, uh, like he loves the gospel, hallelujah. When we do that, hallelujah, give the glory, the big gospel, and everyone – when that ends, he, he almost compliments the choir in front of the congregation almost every time we do it. Like, how can you say, you know, whatever to that? That's a good move. You know, he's very complimentary about things like that. So. Does he ever look across the altar when you hit hit, hit the wrong key or something? <laughs> oh, I, that's always in my mind. Knowing he's a musician <laughs> he's an organist, yeah, <laughs> it's always in my mind thinking, ooh, I wonder if he caught that. <laughs> How about you, Dale? Where are you getting most of your feedback from? I'm sorry, uh, Alex. I'm th- thinking Alex and seeing Dale. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think that most of the positive feedback comes directly to me. So people seeing me in the fellowship hall afterwards <laughs> or they come right upstairs, the positive seems to come right to me or filters through me into the choir. But the negative seems to work its way to the pastor first. <laughs> or or other or other people first. They I don't know, people seem to be a little more shy about Richard, delivering the I think bad. He's news ready to be a deacon. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh how, how who's who's picking the music at St. Raphael? Is it you? Is it the pastor? Is it uh, the congregation from the week before? Who's picking the songs? Well, I mean, it's usually me. It's mostly me. Um, now, sometimes Father McGovern will have his requests or or wish to, eh, you know, wish to put his idea in instead. You know, I'm not saying I make the right decision all the time. I certainly don't. So, um, you know, so so he definitely has a say in it. And then I do, uh, you know, solicit the opinion of the choir too. You know, what things have you guys done in the past? You know, you guys have been in this parish a lot longer than me. So, what are the things you know? You know, I'm getting input from them too. And and whenever whenever someone is giving me criticism, one of the parishioners, for instance, um, I just challenge them to give me some of their suggestions, the things that they know very well, and things that they would like to hear, and and kind of get a dialogue going with them. So it's not just why well, I didn't like that, but they're you know, something constructive that's coming out of it as well. I know for us, it's the same thing. Uh, Bernie, uh, the music director, she, same thing kind of like with Alex's situation where she picks the music, she does it all, but, um, you know, the father has, again, requests that he thinks, oh, this song would be nice, or can we do this instead, or, kind, you know. So same thing, you know, I think he'll he'll like definitely like his 
suggestions and and uh, things that he would like, or maybe he'll start out saying, "Hey, for Easter, can I like to do this or this or this?" If that's cool. So I mean, it's same thing. I think it's a the music director does most of it, but then the the pastor definitely has a say and has lots of requests. And the the texts of 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 what you're singing are so important. I'm just thinking when I'm when it's my weekend to preach, I will midweek email the music director and say, "Hey, what's what music you're playing this weekend?" Because as you know, as they say, nobody walks out of church humming the homily. Um, but if you can connect the <laughs> homily to the music, you know, because there'll be such, you know, the 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 the, the beautiful meter maybe of, of a song that will lend itself to repetition. So if I can, I'll. I mean, I always do it. And if I can, I'll I'll grab a, a phrase or something from from one of the hymns to kind of connect the the homily with with the music so that so that my my words may not be memorable but the music, uh, the so, music will be so what you do is greg needs to sing his homily next time you know, so we could hum the homily i we was just going to say uh, yeah, that's, since, since we have our <laughs> since we have our vicar of deacons here there are some deacons who bring songs in the homily and <laughs> yeah. what you, what's your thoughts on that okay here's here's the deal um <laughs> besides ball mcgillian yeah there, there is a oh, when, when I was uh, when I was director at Cardinal Stritch Retreat House, uh, we would annually host the Region Seven Bishops uh, Retreat. Uh, it was a great great event, and so you know you, what you would see the bishops doing for themselves, you would you would take as normative. I mean, if if they're doing it, I guess that's okay. Um, so there was one year a uh, retreat uh, preached by a pastor uh, from the Milwaukee Archdiocese, like. Six parishes. They they have this really tough way of uh, assigning priests. But I think he had five or six parishes. He was uh, a classmate of of one of the bishops, one of our Chicago bishops, and he uh, he, he he sang part of his part of his homily. Um, and uh, it you know nobody batted an eye. Uh, I remember uh, deaconing at a confirmation mass when Bishop Paprocki was. Uh, still in Chicago, he would he would sing um, during the homily. So you don't do it every week. <laughs> uh, you know, don't use props uh, every week. But it's if I did it, people would lose their faith. But um, yeah, you can. I don't think it's against the rubrics. So. Greg, don't you do it. Uh, Dave, you go right ahead. But <laughs> um, no, Dante was actually wrong. There's really ten levels of hell. Yeah. <laughs> don't put the church in scandal, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. So, Alex, what would you say, what should the music look like? I mean, it, what, as a music director on an ideal Sunday, what, uh, what, what, what gets you rocking and happy and skipping all the way home? What, 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 should, the, what should the music look like? Well, I guess I think, and this is, you know, my, I guess my more traditional-minded opinion, but I I think that the music should, in the end, very simply, aid in the goal of of the Mass, the giving praise to God, celebrating the Eucharist. I mean, that's what the Mass is, and it's it's the pinnacle of the faith. I mean, it's it's the culmination of, of everything comes together in the Mass. So if what you're doing for the music complements that, especially for each particular liturgy. 
and it, it, I think if, if it's well thought out, it's complimenting, then I think you've done a good job. And I think the people will feel that, that you've done a good job. If it's just, hey, we're singing our four favorite songs this weekend and they have nothing to do with what's going on in the larger context, I don't think you've, you've done it right. I don't, you say, what does it look like? I don't think that looks right if you're just doing your favorite things. But if you're really thinking about what's going on with this liturgy, what's the theme, right? What is, what is the preacher preaching about this weekend? know tying into these things does it look like what is going on for that particular mass i think that's the best place to start do you try to make the ending song a little more up-tempo yeah generally because i generally kind of send you out i think it's the interesting thing there there really is no such thing as a recessional hymn i mean name of father son holy spirit amen the mass is ended go in peace thanks be to god that's the end of the mass Technically, there is no recessional hymn, so it could be anything. Yeah, but at, but, at that point, um, the deacon's yes, saying, go forth, preach the gospel, it's, uh, it's, live your faith. What I is mean, that? The, you, you, the last thing the deacon's saying is, go forth, you know, preach the gospel, live your faith, be joyful. Do you know The good news of Christ has been here. That should be a message where people are energized to go out into the world, don't you think? It depends on the season, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's those seasons yeah. where you want silence, you want quiet, you want reverence, and having some big, boisterous organ song blasting away when you want people to think reverent and quiet. I, I know that's that's one thing for for me. I know it depends on the season, you know, because I'll play big postludes, but there's times of year where I, of course, you're like, it's not supposed to be big and boisterous and fun and, you know. But I like doing that, of course. But I, would, I, I <laughs> always like uh, <laughs> Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs, uh, Wooly Bully as a, yeah. a postlude. <laughs> Do you guys know that one? That's contemporary yeah. with Alex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as we're you know we'll come down to a little bit left in the show. What would you guys say is your biggest challenges as liturgical ministers? Hmm. I t- I, well, to be honest, I think in general right now it's finding the finding that perfect style of music, which I guess wouldn't be as much maybe the musician as much as as a liturgical director kind of thing, but directors, you know, but. Uh, the church is changing. People are changing. You know, there, there's less and less people. The, um, you know, the music program, of course, are trying to get younger and younger people. And if you look around at who's in the church, you know, let's face it, the ratio is a lot more older people than younger people, and we're trying to change that. But my Richard, kids Richard's are young at heart, though. That's right. <laughs> but my kids are a prime example. They grew up with church being pipe organ stuff. So, like my kids don't like the clapping and the drums and all. They think it's hokey. So. Uh, you know, that's not even the answer saying, oh, everyone thinks, oh, you throw drums and guitar in there, you're going to get all the young people. Not necessarily. It's what they're used to. It's what they're used to coming to. But I think that to me is the challenge is finding that happy medium of, you know, you got to find what what does your congregation, what are they used to? What kind of music do they like? What's going to make them feel at home and comfortable and make this a a blessed experience, you know, make it a, a, a good place to worship. And then, then try and fill that. You know, if you're more that place that does more contemporary but not super you know drums and all that well then if you know that's your congregation then don't go changing it to hymns and latin stuff or if you have a traditional congregation or certain masses that they really like that then make sure you keep some of that at some point but i just think that's a challenge trying to find that happy medium and make sure you because you got to keep everyone happy you know if you do something too modern the traditionalists don't like it if you do something too traditional the people there's people that don't want that either so it's really and you want everyone to take something out of the mass you know and, and to and to join it <laughs> you know 
Yeah, you can't please everyone. No. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's true. <laughs> it's, it's, very, yeah, it's very hard. I mean, someone will always be upset, I suppose. But yeah. I think for me, the hardest thing is, like, I guess the catechism behind it, the education behind it. Because, you know, if you want to do new things, if you want to do something different, there's always going to be that pushback, that resistance to anything different, that resistance to change. And, you know, even with the choir, even with the, the group of more experienced musicians in the church or in the parish, you know, they still might kind of bat their eyes at, uh, at something new or something different, but they do embrace it. But then again, I do get to spend an hour and a half with them every week teaching them new things. I don't have that luxury with a congregation who mostly shows up, you know, five minutes before Mass. <laughs> so I think it's really hard to, as a music director, not just perform, but also to teach congregation the, the repertoire of, of their faith, the repertoire of the Catholic Church. Do you wonder, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed at people who can play musical instruments, because I, I play nothing. Um, and it strikes me that that the ability to play a musical instrument, particularly one as complicated as an organ, uh, is an increasingly rare ability in the congregation. Um, and so, musically, we're we're illiterate by and large. I mean, do, do, do you see that? I mean, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, the music education in schools—that's where it all starts. You know, music programs in schools are are so small compared to what they used to be. You know, many schools don't even have music programs anymore. So the kids are not learning. They're not learning how to sing. They're not learning how to read music. Their parents probably didn't to a large extent. And so all, all of that knowledge is, is, is not being carried on. So when everyone gets in the church, the only way they can really learn is by rote. And the only way you can do that is to do things over and over and over again. And then maybe they'll catch on to it. Yeah, and, and know, it's frustrating. Yeah, it is. And I know even the piano versus organ thing, that happens a lot too where, you know, pipe organs could cost a million dollars to repair or keep or, or purchase um, hundreds of thousands for even to repair an old one. So a lot of churches, you know, are, are going, oh, everyone likes piano anyway. And all these sounds are on these digital pianos. So a lot of them are, are not repairing and are getting rid of organs completely. And they're just have a digital piano. So that even itself kind of lends itself to more of the modern music because like you said, trying to find organists now is harder and harder, but now a lot of these churches aren't replacing their organs be because they just buy a digital piano and say, well, we have other sounds on there, and I think that's not helping either, but that's because of the cost of digital organs and, and pipe organs, but uh, that's a challenge. So, Dale, what's your favorite liturgical song? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I, I don't know if I have a favorite. <laughs> I, I, I'm I sure you say Bob Gilead. <laughs> yeah, Bob, I should have said. I, yeah, you know what? We should all say Bob Gilead. Yeah. How about you, Alex? You got a favorite? Yeah, <sighs> uh, that's a, that's a hard one to answer too. I guess it depends on the context. I don't know. I don't Gilead. know. I can't really say. I think I think we should all for for Greg Balm of Gilead. That's that's right. That's, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I do know at a wedding, there's nothing better than a uh, an Ave Maria sung well. This is true. I mean that 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 is classic. How right. about you, Angela? What's your favorite song back there? Ave Maria. Yeah. Bach or Schubert? That's. <laughs> <laughs> 
Would you like to sing some in our last uh, two minutes? Or <laughs> well, that will hasten the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex and Dave, Dale, we had a great time with you here today. We thank you for joining us here on the Deacon's Roundtable at WSFI 88.5 FM. We're going to sing uh, Salve Regina on the way out, I hope. Well, I was going to have Dave, uh, Deacon Dave do our, our ending prayer here, so however he wants to do it, he has the latitude. Well, I can promise you we'll not be singing. Uh, in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, God, for allowing us to explore how music really helps our liturgy and brings us closer to you and all the thoughts that go into the ministers as they try to bring, make an environment so it's conducive to prayer and understanding and being with you. Please watch us over the week and bless our families and let us come close to you by our actions. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Deacon, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Deacon Mike, feel better. Oh.